the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. Is it, is it time to start? I'm sort of daydreaming. Have you looked outside that big yellow orb? It looks vaguely familiar. I know I've seen it before. It's just been a while. It's a UFO. Oh, I thought for a moment it was the sun. Well, I mean, it could be, but technically a UFO is an unidentifiable flying object. Well, it's flying and I can't identify it, so. <laughs> it's been that long. It's been that long. Well, good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show on a fun Friday afternoon. At least that's the goal. The goal is a fun Friday afternoon. We do have a couple of serious notes, and I'll get to that in a moment. But it's a, a note of relief. Uh, but I wanted to mention that Clark Hilton is uh, still off celebrating his birthday and uh, James Blend is not only producing today's program, but he is engineering today's program. This is a major feat, uh, given the fact that he does it so seldom these days. That uh, do you, Have you got it figured out? Do you know which buttons to push? And that's the, I think that's the wrong button. Hold on. Hello? Hello? Oh, there we go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Conveniently forgetting which one is my mic. I know, or, really, so or remembering so which one is my mic. Anyway, it's glad to, it's good to have you with us, James Blend, and he'll be joining be us through you, much of the program. Sort of. Yeah, sort of. I'm missing my nap, but you know it's all right. Well, if I recall, you took your nap right about this time anyway when you were engineering before, so it it won't be hard. It's a to... tougher on a Friday though, especially on a sunny. Yeah, Friday. I mean, I, I, it's dark, cloudy, rainy. Day, look outside, it's dreary. Look in the studio, it's dreary. It's, it's <laughs> you know, it's, it's a lot easier, but uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I wanted to uh, bring you up to date on a story we made reference to a couple of times this week. You'll recall that there was a 20-something man that walked into a Denny's, sat down, doused a stranger with gasoline, and then lit him with a book of matches, simply walked away, and then ran off into the distance. Well, uh, apparently, that um, perpetrator has been found. The man suspected of setting uh, the man on fire at uh, Happy Valley Restaurant. I'm, I'm noticing some of the uh, reports are saying a man suspected of setting another man on fire at a Happy Valley Denny's restaurant was arrested today, uh, and has, or rather Thursday evening, and has been charged with attempted murder. The good news is the perpetrator has been found. The Clackamas County Sheriff's Office tweeted, we got him Thursday night. Well, the suspect was identified as 24-year-old Deshaun James Swanger. He was arrested at a transitional home in southeast Portland on 80th Avenue and Sunnyside Drive, just a few blocks away from the restaurant. 
Apparently, a neighbor called in a tip to the sheriff's office and told deputies he believes the man that they were looking for was, in fact, this 24-year-old swanger, and that he lived at a transitional house uh, with about 18 people. Now, the neighbor said that he used to live in that very house with Swanger and was surprised by the allegations of uh, his former roommate. He said he was quiet. He stayed to himself. Um, he's now a neighbor, but not living in the same home. Well, Swanger has a criminal history, including charges of robbery, burglary and assault. Uh, this being a different form of assault, I suppose. Deputies say that on Wednesday evening, Swanger walked into the restaurant located at 12 12- Uh, 101 Southeast 82nd Avenue at about 9 p.m., sat down, threw gasoline on the customer, lit the victim on fire with a book of matches. Well, the victim's family identified him as 69-year-old Scott Randstrom, and of course he is in critical condition at Legacy uh, Emanuel Hospital. His face was like this big uh, gesturing, one of the family members, and uh, he's a skinny guy. His face is red, horrible-looking, burnt to a crisp. These are words used by... Uh, his sister, um, uh, they did uh, that to my brother. I just uh, don't think I'll ever get over it. It's not fair. Well, it certainly is not fair. Uh, I pray she will get over it and that uh, somehow through this horrific series of events, there might be uh, some silver lining. His family set up a GoFundMe page to pay for his medical expenses, which, of course, they had not anticipated uh, at all. Deputies said that Swanger and Randstrom did not know one another. Detectives are looking into the possibility that this case is related to another incident earlier this week in which a person threw gasoline on a stranger at the Clackamas Town Center movie theater. So if you were concerned about just being in Clackamas County, they do have the perpetrator in custody. The uh, individual they believe is responsible. Deputies said that they did not make the incident then public based on an interview with the victim who seemed to think the whole thing was a joke. Uh, They're now going to interview if they haven't already done so that person. And I'm guessing Uh, The person who thought it was a joke then is probably quite relieved now. Uh, Meanwhile, Denny's issued a statement uh, Thursday morning saying that they were deeply disturbed by the senseless random act of violence that took place at their franchise-owned Happy Valley restaurant. They're cooperating with uh, law enforcement, and I'm guessing that uh, their uh, cooperation is at least in part responsible for finding and now uh, taking into custody the perpetrator. The Clackamas County Homicide and Violent Crime Teams are investigating, and they're uh, continuing to say anyone with information about the case is asked to call the sheriff's office tip line. Again, this is in Clackamas County. But what a relief that 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 perpetrator has been uh, taken into custody. Well, we've been sort of whining about the fact that we have 70-degree temperatures uh, today after a chilly 30-something start, much of the Willamette Valley, southwest Washington, Enjoyed uh, warm, near 70-degree temperatures this afternoon. Now, I don't know what the uh, high was in most of the Portland metro area, but I think we have reached somewhere around that. Sunny skies and developing east winds brought the warmth to us. The sad news is it will also take it from us because tomorrow and the remainder of the weekend is going to be what we've seen before. I think the high about 62 tomorrow and uh, and forward. Uh, Rain, I'm looking, rain, 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 and then... Uh, there's a little more rain. So uh, did you get a chance to enjoy any of this beautiful weather, James Blinn, this 70-degree balmy weather that we've had today? Yeah, I actually did get to enjoy about well, about 45 minutes or an hour out Well, there you today. go. There you go. Yeah, a few of us managed to uh, go to lunch at, uh, at one of those uh, cart pod areas with mm-hmm. outdoor seating, and so we managed to enjoy it a bit. I you know, didn't even have to fully zip up the sweatshirt, which is good. Yeah, I've never been to a food cart. 
I'm a little nervous. I, I don't know, a food cart. Can you really do it up big in a food cart? You, you, yes. Yes, you can. So what did you have? Um, I had, I actually had some barbecued pork, barbecue pork fried rice. Oh, that sounds great. Yeah, the rest of the guys had Eros, so... So yeah, you know, obviously I, I went to a different uh, pod than they did, but uh, yeah, we had a good time outdoors. The outdoors were enjoyed fully, and uh, it was it was a nice little you know. It's, I think about as good as you're going to do on a work day. You know, I think I, that's really what it comes down yeah, to. Yeah, yeah. I noticed earlier that I, there's just a little slight glow about you. Did you get a little sun? Are you are you starting to get just a little bit? You know, Dan. when you're as ghostly white as I am, I'm sure even the slightest. <laughs> you know, it, it's it's kind of like uh, it's kind of like that dusting of uh, dirt that winds up over over snow after the first day. You know, it doesn't yeah. uh, doesn't have to be windy or anything like that. There there's still debris upon the snow. That that's me in the sun. So it's not a glow so much as. Not that there's anything wrong with that. Debris on the snow. (laughs) Well, there you go. Uh, This year we've seen uh, two 63-degree days, but nothing warmer uh, as uh, 70, you know, as warm, I should say, as 70 degrees um, that we're, (coughs) excuse me, that we're enjoying today. (coughs) The last time Portland International Airport (coughs) hit 70 degrees was October the 8th, so it's been a while. The record high for the day is 82 degrees. And the average is about 62, which is right around the range we have been over the last several weeks. So enjoy today's sunshine because showers return on Saturday morning and continue for many days to follow. We're living in Portland in the Pacific Northwest. Deal with it. Quick break. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show, and we'll be back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Well, good afternoon and welcome back. 21 minutes after 4 o'clock is the time you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show, brought to you in part today by Zero Res. By the way, have you called them yet? I mean, we're just about to change seasons. It's a great time to pick up the phone, go online, and book an appointment with Zero Res. Just saying. Well, Starbucks has a new drink out. It's the Starbucks Unicorn Frappuccino. Now, have you tried this thing, James, or are you interested in it? Uh, I've read enough about it to know I, I don't think I want to try this one. Well, the thing that's frustrating to me, there's no real unicorn in it. I mean, how are you going to call it a Starbucks unicorn frappuccino without saying with real unicorn? My understanding is there was supposed to be, but their supplier didn't come through with oh, needed. Yeah. I see. So they had to come up with something else. Yeah, exactly. Well, Starbucks fans are getting fairy dusted by the new unicorn Frappuccino, but what's actually in this pink, sparkly, a uh, sparkly drink? We've got the goods, ladies and gentlemen. Well, the coffee giant describes the limited edition treat as sweet, and it certainly is that fruity and pleasantly sour. Well, the bright uh, frappuccino even changes colors with the blue swirl mixing into the pink base to make purple. Wow! Oui. What more could you possibly want in a drink? Um, at no surprise, experiencing the magic comes with an overload of sugar. Uh, the standard 16 ounce size known as Starbucks, uh, at Starbucks locations as a grande, you have to have a whole vocabulary to order there, contains 59 grams of sugar if ordered with whipped cream. And who in their right mind wouldn't want whipped cream on their Duh. Starbucks unicorn frappuccino? Well, that's equivalent to eating approximately 15 sugar cubes. 
Wow. You better plan on eating nothing else for the rest of the week that has even the hint of sweet to it. Skipping the whipped cream won't make much of a difference at 55 grams of sugar, which is only about one less sugar cube. One grande unicorn frappuccino holds about double the recommended daily added sugar limit for both men and women, according to the American Heart Association. Not to mention, ordering a grande will set you back 410 calories. That's 140 of those calories are from fat, by the way. The new frappuccino is made up of seven main ingredients, eight if you add the whipped cream, which is an option, of course. Nine with the unicorn. But in short, it's just ice, milk, and sugar. So you've got ice, milk, And then the creme frappuccino syrup, Uh, this ingredient is mainly sugar, preservatives, thickening agents, and artificial sweeteners. Then there's mango syrup. This sweetener is made mostly of, you guessed it, sugar, passion fruit and mango juice concentrate, preservatives, and thickening agents. Then there's the flavorful blue drizzle. The magical blue swirl is a mix of three components, white chocolate mocha sauce, classic syrup, don't know what that is, and sour blue powder. Uh, The white chocolate mocha sauce contains sugar, condensed milk, cocoa butter, and coconut oil. Classic syrup is mainly, you guessed it, sugar with a little water thrown in. And the sour blue powder contains sugar, artificial sweeteners, and spirulina. The sixth ingredient, pink powder, to go with the blue powder. The coloring ingredients contains dextrose, which is a sweetener found in corn syrup, sugar, as well as fruit and vegetable color. Then there's the sour blue powder, not to be um, confused with the earlier sour blue powder that we've already mentioned, but that's the blue drizzle. So you have the blue drizzle that has some of the sour blue powder in it, and then you have the separate addition of the sour blue powder. And that contains sugar, artificial sweeteners, preservatives, and spirulina. And finally, the option that might, for those who are, you know, a little more weight conscious, whipped cream made of cream and vanilla syrup. The uh, cream contains thickening agents and preservatives, which are, uh, you know, you don't need thickening agents and whipped cream. You whip it. Anyway, uh, the vanilla syrup is mostly sugar and water. Well, depending on... um, Whether or not the whipped cream is added, five to six of the main ingredients are sugar-based and uh, or made of an artificial sweetener, giving you the impression that it's sugar-based. When um, looked at closely, the only pure ingredient in the unicorn frappuccino are milk and ice, ingredients, plural, milk and ice. So if you're uh, going to treat yourself with a frosty glitter bomb, get ready for a very high sugar rush. And I should warn you, there is absolutely... No unicorn in the beverage, which is disappointing. Well, yeah. I mean, I think that, uh, you know, if you're branding it a certain thing, it's it's got to have what's in it. I mean. Yeah, it's a little uh, it's a little disappointing. Well, the Associated Press is reporting that a Starbucks barista had taken to social media hoping to make orders for it. The coffee change uh, much buzzed about unicorn frappuccino disappear. Probably a bad idea if you're an employee working for an employer that is for a limited time offering a particular thing 
that you take to social media and badmouth it. I, I don't know. It just may not be a good idea if you want to continue working there. But Starbucks' entry into the unicorn food craze was released on Wednesday, and its popularity was too much for the 19-year-old Colorado barista Braden Burson. He posted a video, now deleted, on Twitter after his shift complaining that it was difficult to keep up with the orders for the drink, and he's never been so stressed out in his life. I mean, this is equivalent to serving in the military, from what I understand. The guy was very stressed out. You know, someone who has real responsibility can relate to just how difficult this must have been for the 19-year-old barista. Well, the unicorn frappuccino is a sweet and sour pink and blue swirled uh, thing topped with whipped cream. (coughs) And the employee, I keep coughing because we used to have a cough button in the studio. So you cough, you press the button. You get it over with. You're back on the air. Nobody knows you've been gone. Well, that button is no longer present. I'd, I'd know you'd been gone. Well, that's probably true. Uh, it's no longer present, so you have to try to be discreet by turning completely away from the microphone, coughing into the bend of your arm, turning around quickly and trying to uh, catch up with. And there's a little tickle in my throat. I can just feel it. It's just waiting for another opportunity. Anyway, well, and, I, and I'm diving for the button on my side to try and try and help you. Well, out yeah, a bit. you can you can do that, but I no longer have the power. I think this was a conspiracy of the engineers uh, here at the station who just wanted to have the power to prevent us from pressing another button to talk back and be able to stifle our coughs when needed. Anyway, the uh, barista tells the Associated Press that he didn't think his rant would get this much publicity and he didn't intend to downgrade the drink. It's a great drink, he said, but it's difficult to make when there are like 20 fraps all at once, uh, both front and drive through he wrote on Facebook. Starbucks said uh, in a statement Thursday that the popular reception of the drink has exceeded everyone's expectations. It added that it is uh, reaching out to Burson to talk about his experience and how to make it better. So maybe counseling is in order. Uh, Burson said he hadn't heard from the company as of midday Thursday, but my guess is they'll hear from him very soon because they don't want him to go into the weekend with post-traumatic stress syndrome having had to produce so many beverages all at once. Did you know there's a museum of ice cream? I've heard about this. Yeah, I think we should uh, road trip. Oh, absolutely. The Museum of Ice Cream. It's in L.A., so that's probably not going to happen. But it features a pool filled with sprinkles. Imagine oh, that. my word. Yeah. Los Angeles residents and visitors seeking to take in some sweet-toothed culture have a new destination. The Museum of Ice Cream. Well, the museum, which opened temporarily last summer in New York City, expanded to four times its size and moved across the country for this year's exhibition in Los Angeles in the Arts District. The museum features 10 exhibits, and each room features the smells and tastes associated with ice cream and adjacent desserts, other frosty treats. It's not a museum in any traditional sense, says uh, Uh, The procurator, I want adults to feel like kids. I want kids to come in and feel like children. And it's just fun. The museum features a room filled with bananas and a pool filled with sprinkles. The twenty nine dollar price of admission, 18 for children and seniors, includes two curated ice cream tastings, as well as other sugary edibles. The museum opens its doors on Saturday, will remain open until May the 29th. An exclusive first look at the Museum of Ice Cream. Coming to L.A. That sounds like a a pretty fun place. A museum of ice cream. 
Speaking of all of the sweet confections that we enjoy, there's one that they're telling us really isn't that good for us, even though we have the impression that we're doing ourselves a favor. The headline simply read in USA Today, diet soda can increase risk of dementia and stroke. Ouch. You know, you give up pop because they tell you it's not good. There are too many empty calories. So you go to diet soda. You've got diet soda that's zero, zero caffeine, zero sugar. You feel like you're doing something good. You feel the burn, but it's apparently not doing us any good. The quest to trim waistlines using artificial sweeteners could be backfiring. Researchers found artificially sweetened drinks, hmm, not just soda, but drinks like diet soda, can increase a person's likelihood of stroke and dementia. Well, the study published in the American Heart Association journal Stroke found a daily diet soda puts a person at three times the risk of dementia and stroke compared to someone who drinks less than one per week. It's another blow to diet soda, which has been the subject of recent unflattering studies. Purdue University, um, they found in 2013, it doesn't actually help us lose weight. Another 2007 study discovered that those who drink diet soda uh, are no less at risk of heart disease than those who drink regular soda. In fact, the stroke study found drinking sugary drinks in general, such as soda and fruit juice, really, fruit juice, doesn't increase a person's risk of stroke and dementia. Huh. Drinking sugary drinks, such as soda and fruit juice, does not increase a person's risk of stroke and dementia. Researchers caution, however, that's not a call to go out and buy sugary drinks, which Harvard has linked to type 2 diabetes and heart disease. You just kind of pick and choose which disease you want uh, by the beverage you choose and how much you consume. And although we did not find an association between stroke or dementia and the consumption of sugary drinks, this certainly does not mean they are healthy as an option. That's a quote from Dr. Matthew Pace, who's the study author and a senior fellow at the Boston University School of Medicine. We recommend that people drink water on a regular basis instead of sugary or artificially sweetened beverages. Take some getting used to if you've had a diet, a steady diet of the one, and then to go to the other, water. Over seven years, researchers studied thousands of people over the age of 45 from the area of Framington, Framingham, Massachusetts, on their drinking and eating habits. Researchers followed up a decade later to see who had experienced a stroke or dementia. The data was suggested for a number of factors, including age, sex, and caloric intake. The study only tracked the uh, trend between artificial sweetening uh, consumers, dementia, and stroke, but was unable to prove that drinking artificial drinks was the cause of the diseases. Uh, Pass says uh, that uh, the overall risk for dementia and stroke isn't staggering. Even if someone is three times as likely to develop stroke or dementia, it is by no means a certain fate. In our study, 3% of people had a new stroke or 5% developed dementia. So we're still talking about a small number of people developing stroke or dementia. But if you happen to be in that small number, um, my guess is looking back, you probably wish you had had fewer of those Diet Cokes. Uh, than you had. So just a a bit of a heads up. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Prosecutors say an Alaska dentist charged with the Medicaid fraud pulled a sedated patient's tooth while riding a hoverboard. Why, why would you do that? What was the thinking behind that? Seth Lockhart was charged with 17 counts of Medicaid fraud after prosecutors say he billed Medicaid $1.8 million last year for IV sedation used in procedures that 
didn't call for it. Prosecutors say in an uh, indictment, the investigators found a video on Lockhart's uh, phone of him riding a hoverboard while extracting a sedated patient's tooth. They say he texted the video to his office manager and joked that it was a new standard of care. Prosecutors say the investigators contacted the patient and she told them she was unaware that Lockhart was riding a hoverboard while operating on her. His attorney didn't immediately respond to uh, requests for information, but Lockhart's office manager uh, has also been charged and will not be engaging in any other procedures anytime soon. Wow, a hoverboard while doing a dental procedure. I, I can't even imagine. And I, then, just, I just want to know where we got the hoverboard from, I'll be honest. That I'm, <laughs> I'm far more interested in the hoverboard itself. Than... Don't those things spontaneously combust? I've seen several incidents. I, there, there, yeah, there have been some incidents, but that, yeah, it's still cool. Yeah, it is. The idea is, and I expect it won't be too long before they get the bugs out. Exactly. So, I mean, uh, you know. Uh, all for it, but you know the fear of dentistry that uh, I think ingra- is ingrained in many of us. You know, cancels out. Oh, there was a dental thing. Whatever, <laughs> hoverboard. Tell me about the hoverboard, please. Wow, you sedate a patient, you mount one of those things, and then do dental work. It's just unbelievable. I mean, I guess it could have been worse. It could have been one of those. Uh, oh, one of those bigger things that you kind of wheel around on, that go around your kind of around your hip and have those big wheels at the bottom. Oh, oh, I know what you mean. The I yeah. can't think of the name of it, but at least it's firmly planted on the ground. You're not likely to, you know, Plant. move from one yeah, side yeah, yeah. to the other unintentionally. Well, here's another random story. Almost an entire Oregon town is for sale for $3.5 million, or about $3.9 million, if you also want the local elementary school, which is a separate deal. The tiny community of Tiller, Tiller, Oregon, Uh, Encircled by the Umpqua National Forest has been shrinking since environmental rules sharply curtailed logging on federal forest land several decades ago. People can't make a living there. As the timber mills closed and people moved away, one longtime resident bought up properties and now his estate is selling them all for a whopping three point five or three point nine million dollars if you want the school. Potential buyers have come forward but are remaining anonymous and back uh, backup offers are still being accepted. The asking price includes six houses, a shuttered general store, a gas station, land, water rights, and infrastructure that includes sidewalks, fire hydrants, and a working power station. So if you're looking for a uh, an isolated uh, community, Tiller, Oregon might be uh, the one for you. And what about this one? A multinational team of researchers with the San Diego Natural History Museum has added yet another spider to the category of awfully scary arachnids. It doesn't matter to me what size they are. They are awfully scary arachnids. I immediately stop, point, and uh, say rather loudly, spider alert, which Dan Rice knows uh, means he is to drop everything immediately and find where I am, and I am pointing with no movement at all at the the spider, and then he is responsible for taking care of it. Stop that. You have me looking at the wall. <laughs> yeah. So the spider alert is for any awfully scary arachnids, which includes the entire species. Well, the size of a softball, they found the hairy, eight-eyed specimen wandering inside a cave in Baja, California, Mexico, a few years back, while investigating the Sierra something mountain range. Softball size. Think about that for a moment, ladies and gentlemen. Ah. After thorough analysis, they have now confirmed it is indeed a new species. They have named it California something. 
Well, the first evidence we found of this species was a shed uh, exoskeleton in the cracks of a rock overhang, says the field entomologist at the museum and one of the authors. The exoskeleton was abnormally big, and I could tell by the eye pattern that it was in a group of spiders, wandering spiders from the family of whatever it's called, with very few species in Baja California, sir. Well, the California spider, the head and legs are of an intense brown color, while its abdomen is yellow. It's relatively flat and is nearly four inches long. It also has two very visible fangs. Now, just hold your fingers from four inches long. Wow, that's um, mm, that's a big spider. Uh, the intimidating creature, however, carries a venom that is not fatal to humans. Uh, one of them was bitten during the process of handling a live specimen. Uh, he's still alive. Well, most insects, <laughs> exactly. Most insects and spiders on the planet have uh, yet to be discovered. We tend to think that we know everything, but we know so very little. According to the San Diego Natural History Museum website, there are about 1.1 million species of insects and spiders on the planet that scientists have given names, but most researchers estimate that there are 2 to 5 million that remain undescribed. Uh, when I saw this particular spider for the first time, I was very impressed by the size, says Dr. Marie um, Jimenez, a Mexican expert who co-authored the study introducing the new spider. In all my experience over the years collecting spiders on the peninsula, I have never seen a spider this large. I suspected that something new was waiting to be discovered, and discovered it was. It has a new name, which is the unpronounceable name. Perhaps we should just refer to it as Prince, uh, but it's uh, it's a big one. We do not want to encounter this thing at any point in life. That's my advice. Broadcasting in the public's interest. Well, if you're looking for souvenirs on a vacation, the scorpion might be one thing to consider. And you're wondering, how on earth will I get that thing home? Well, all you need to do is board a United Airlines flight. We'll tell you about it when we return. Scorpions on a plane. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show on a fun Friday afternoon. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back 51 minutes after 4 o'clock. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. James Blind is engineering this afternoon, and he's also producing today's program and uh, napping all uh, all at once. I was talking about, um, you know, if you're looking for a little excitement uh, and you're on a United flight, you might just want to look at the overhead bin. After spending two weeks on vacation in Mexico, one couple, Richard and Linda Bell, they were on a United Airlines flight. They were coming home from Houston to Calgary on Sunday. They thought their adventure was over until a scorpion fell from the overhead compartment and onto Richard. That would pretty much do, <laughs> would pretty much do it. They didn't immediately recognize the honey-colored 1.5-inch animal until a passenger sitting next to them pointed out that it was probably a scorpion. I would not have been conscious, so that explanation would have been useless. So Richard took the scorpion from his hair. Okay, I'm about to faint. And he dropped it onto his tray. When he picked it up again, the animal stung him. Okay, I'm, I'm a little lost. He picked it up again? He got Apparently. it off of himself and he picked it up again? I'm not sure I would have done that. I've actually eaten a scorpion. It tastes like french fries, but that's I a whole other story. I got the impression story. for the story that the scorpion may have been in his lap. But well, it, originally it? it landed on his hair. hair. And then he removed it from his hair, put it on the tray, and it stung him. It may have ended up at some point in his lap. Gotcha. Anyway, it stung him, 
He said it felt like a, a wasp sting. Another passenger took the scorpion, stomped it on the ground, and then threw the remains in the toilet. Thank you for that graphic explanation as to what happened next. Well, upon landing in Calgary, emergency personnel came on board the plane to examine Richard. He showed no sign of distress, according to the EMS spokesperson, and declined medical attention. I would have been hauled off in a, a, an ambulance and insisted upon staying in the hospital for three, four days, possibly five. Uh, it's not clear, uh, private room, uh, it's not clear how the scorpion got onto the flight, although the most likely scenario is that it, it uh, snuck on board inside someone's luggage. Since it was in the overhead compartment, United Airlines is investigating the incident. They cannot uh, question the perpetrator because he was stomped on the floor and thrown into the toilet. So kind of a dead end there, so to speak. Well, this is not the first time a scorpion had made its way onto the cabin. And bit a passenger. They don't actually bite the passenger. They sting the passenger, to be technically correct. In 2015, an Alaska Airlines flight, who would have thought Alaska, uh, was forced to return to its origin of uh, airport in Los Angeles after a woman on board was stung by a scorpion. The woman declined medical attention upon arrival. Well, that, and, I don't know about I, this declining medical attention. The, the, uh, if I recall correctly on that one, the flight was Los Angeles to Portland. Well, let's see. It uh, says when Alaska Airlines, it didn't say uh, Portland, but you may be right. It was from uh, Los Angeles, so it may well have been headed to Portland. Because I, if I remember right, I was on another airline flying Los Angeles to Portland around about the same time. Wow. And it totally creeped me out. Oh, absolutely. Well, I think I would insist on hospitalization for you know a period of time. Here, here's my question. I think it's a fair question. Who do you think would be laying in their bed? More traumatized you after being attacked viciously and savagely by a tiny <laughs> scorpion or that poor barista from Starbucks who clearly can't handle making the unicorn frappuccino. Oh, I think clearly the uh, the barista. That's kind of what it, I was this thinking. was like the worst thing he's ever lived. Let's hope that's the worst thing that kid ever has to go through is a lineup of people waiting for a drink that's probably, if if consumed over a long period of time, will kill them. But that's it. let's hope that's the worst thing he ever has to face. And yes, it was it was wow. a flight from Los Angeles to, to Portland. Portland in February of 2015. Wow. Well, thanks for bringing that up for those of us who hope to fly well, out of Portland well, at some point the in thing, the future. Though, it didn't make it to Portland. Yeah. They turned around Los Angeles. So the good news is... There's at least one less scorpion in Portland than we one know about less it. scorpion. You don't. There might have been a family of scorpions. You don't know if there was a couple that was there, and they were. You know, I have not seen. I mean, have you ever mm. seen? I mean, I'm sure with desert on the eastern side of the state, there must be some somewhere, some variety. But I've never seen a scorpion outside of like an insect collection or something like that here. I have not here. I have not, but I've seen them elsewhere, not in the the continental United States, but. And I ate a scorpion. Did I mention that? You, you did, actually. Tastes like French fry. Did, did you know um, the, the hot new food item up in Seattle at the ballpark? Oh, I shudder to think. What is it? Grasshopper? Uh, grasshopper. Yeah, I did hear that. And they pretty much sell out every game. Yeah, well, it's a, a source of protein for a lot of people on the earth. It's just weird to us because we don't tend to eat, at least we don't knowingly eat insects. The truth is we've probably all consumed more insects than we'd care to to know about because it's in our lettuce. It's, you know, it's just in well, growing stuff. Up, growing up, there was a big hill by my house and, uh, you know, riding down it on my bike. And I, I know of a couple flies that met there. And uh, if I inadvertently opened my mouth at the wrong minute. So that happened yeah. to me once. It was the regional track meet. I was running for the University of Oregon. It was the, the 400 meter hurdles. While you and were there running. Was a, 
yeah, there, yes, it was the, I'm not sure if it was the finals or, uh, yes, I believe it was the finals. And there was a woman from Seattle. She was built like a brick house. She had a shock of red hair. She was muscular. I mean, she was impressive. Just standing still, she was intimidating. And I was running against her. I was 5'2". I probably weighed 100 pounds. Uh, muscles were in there somewhere, but you couldn't necessarily point them out. And she and I were favored to win, uh, although she was incredible. And as I round the corner, uh, that first corner, uh, take my first hurdle, a fly flies into my mouth. And, you know, it's, it's impeding my breathing. And I had to manage how I was breathing while I was counting my steps and doing the hurdles uh, in order to finish the race. And it was, it was one of the worst experiences of my life. It was like being stung by a scorpion. But I did make it to the finals and went to uh, the national meet. And it was either in Tennessee or L.A. or something. I could give you a much more dramatic version, but that would take way too much time. Uh, yeah, and I'm already not feeling so <laughs> Did well I mention that, that I've uh, eaten a scorpion? No, you haven't. Tasted just like a French fry. French fry, really? You don't Absolutely. say. Absolutely. I feel like the last three, two minutes doesn't exist now. It's kind of like a time <laughs> loop. We broke it. All right, cool. Yeah. Uh, a Seattle store is um, now offering something that people with a passion for purple will love, and also for people with a passion for alliteration. Adam Sheridan had the best idea ever. His um, them for violet and passion for plum led him to a colorful destiny, the purple store. It started out as a website more than a decade ago. Purple people were pleased. People who like purple really like purple, he thought. So uh, Adam built a shop with more than 750 items on display, all for purple. From luggage to lingerie, purple is the classiest of colors. The world's most interesting people are drawn to it. There's a practical purple, a purple lessy impractical. Uh, from fur dyes to necklaces, every item is perfectly, pleasingly purple. Adam has his, and his uh, team must be doing something right. Their purple reigns on every continent. And when purple purchasers pout, product people's ears perk. Adam's customers said they wanted purple mixers, so KitchenAid, well, they put in the thing into production. So if you're um, Lala for lavender and if you twinkle for periwinkle, Pop on into the purple store. Your color will be improving in no time. By the way, that's a quote from the KGW website on the Seattle store for people with a passion for purple. Perfect. Perfect. Did I mention? Yeah, maybe I did. I might have mentioned that I've eaten a scorpion. Did that come up in the course of today's program? Peculiar. I've sort of lost time, track of time. I may or may not have mentioned it. Anyway, it tasted like French fries. Wow. Uh, we're going to take a break here in just a moment for news and traffic at the uh, top of the hour because, <laughs> because that's what we do every day. Regardless, it doesn't really matter what else is happening. We want to make sure you know a little something that's going on in the world, so we will uh, take a break for that. When we come back, we've got some, well, rather interesting things to share with you, and we'll also let you know later in the program what's coming up next week. We've got some very interesting authors we'd love for you to uh, to hear from. And by the way, we're going to share the conversation I had yesterday that wasn't uh, broadcast uh, with the folks from Africa New Life, so looking forward to uh, sharing that with you as well. We'll be back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ.
Well, good afternoon and welcome to the second hour of the Georgine Rice Show. James Blend is engineering and producing today's program, all while napping. Well, it's a Friday afternoon and we try to lighten up on Friday afternoons and cover things we wouldn't necessarily get to during the course of the rest of the week. So um, glad to have you with us to do just that. Also, later in the program, I want to bring you up to date on a story that broke a couple of days ago, um, a perpetrator here in the um, Clackamas County area has been apprehended. We'll give you the details as at least as many as we know at this point, uh, but that's good news for the community. Well, we're just winding our way th- uh, down through some news stories of, uh, of particular interest. One uh, story that was interesting to me was that puppy parenting is apparently um, growing in popularity and lots of people are for, uh, foregoing kids for fur babies and personal autonomy. So they're making decisions uh, not to have children, but to... Um, personalize their puppy pets as if they were children. Uh, Says the writer of an article on CNS News, I like animals and pets are wonderful things, but, well, in her uh, 1992 novel, The Children of Men, P.D. James told the story of a world where it has uh, been 25 years since the last child was born. In this dying world, kittens and puppies are pushed around in prams and receive the treatment previously afforded to human infants. 25 years later, it seems that life is imitating art. Though in James' novel, childlessness was the result of a mysterious and catastrophic collapse of, uh, ca- of capacity. But today it's the result of people's choices. But in both James' dystopian story and today's celebration of personal autonomy, the result is the same. Animals have become substitutes for actual children. And it's amazing to me how many people really do seem to relate to their pets as if they were children. Well, the substitution was the subject of a recent article uh, by Bradley Mattis of the Life Issue Institute. In it, he told readers that according to the government statistics, an increasing number of women from the millennial generation are opting out uh, when it comes to having babies. Instead, uh, they're still maternal, but instead, he continues, it appears they're finding an alternative more to their liking. That alternative is what might be called pet parenthood, and it's uh, substitute uh, progeny for babies. Uh, these are hand-picked little dogs for the most part, although there are some other creatures like cats and some other things as well. Uh, but they satisfy their desire to parent, if you will, but without the, you know, the messy, well, messiness of a different kind, I suppose would be a right way of putting it. What's more, he goes on to point out that many millennials are approaching pet ownership the way previous generations approached first-time parenthood, preparing for their impending bundle of joy by reading books and consuming other available research. Now the obvious question is, why? Well, several people, Mattis uh, quoted, um, help us answer the question. One 30-year-old told the New York Post that it's just less work, and honestly, I have more time to go out. So there you have it. Another 30-year-old writing in Charlotte magazine wrote about how she went from wanting to be a stay-at-home mom to a pet parent. In her words, pets give us a greater purpose without making our lives mainly about theirs. (laughs) Wow. I'm almost glad she's got a pet instead of a kid. While there is something stunning about such self-centered transparency, Mattis puts, uh, as he puts it, uh, we shouldn't be surprised. It's the logical outcome of the triumph of personal autonomy in the West. We exist for our own benefit and pleasure, as do our children and pets. Whereas having children has historically uh, been thought of as an act of obedience to a divine command, an obligation we owed past and future generations, today it's an act of self-fulfillment. Children are now a means to an end, not ends in and of themselves. For many, having a child is just another bucket list item, something we do or don't do to complete our lives, preferably 
after we've experienced the other things we believe make uh, for a complete life, like successful career and travel. The problem with the idea is uh, with kids, the feel-good phase passes pretty quickly. Uh, and is replaced by a long, hard slog of raising them with uh, all the sacrifice that it entails. If you get stuck by the travel bug, you just can't board your kids in a local kennel or put them under the, uh, you know, under the plane in the cargo hold. Now, if you're a Christian, this shouldn't be a problem. We get, or at least we should get, concepts like obligation, self-sacrifice, self-giving. But if what matters most are our needs, our desires, pets can sound like a preferable alternative to children, and apparently for many in our culture today, it's a uh, preference they are exercising freely. Well, in our hipster age, one wonders uh, about things like Trader Joe's, and I thought the Daily Mail had an interesting article on um, Trader Joe's food inside the secretive, very profitable relationship between their hipster discount store and the big legacy brands actually behind their pro- their produce. Lots of people go to stores like Trader Joe's because they have very interesting, quirky, one-of-a-kind sorts of uh, offerings. But according to the Daily Mail, a lot of those things are made by the same companies that you'd find on the shelves of Safeway or Fred Meyers. They write that for years, California-based grocery store Trader Joe's has developed a loyal relationship with its customers for providing high-quality, discounted goods. But the privately held chain's popularity may stem from the fact that big-name brands are providing cheaper goods disguised under the Trader Joe's names or Trader Joe's name. Uh, An investigation by sfgate.com conducted taste tests and compared Trader Joe's ingredients with those of popular name brands to try to find out just what was being sold by the hipster supermarket. Well, the company is known for keeping its relationships with other businesses under wraps so that they can develop customers' loyalty with their brands. And they're also not known to have a factory that actually makes the food. Well, information about suppliers may also be kept hush-hush because it may cause consumers to ditch the mainstream products for low price products of the same ingredients and quality. Well, the San Francisco news site found many of the ingredients and tastes of Trader Joe's bread, their macaroni and cheese and other foods were very similar, if not the same. According to the report, Annie's Organic Shells and White Cheddar, for example, has the same ingredients as Trader Joe's, except the former contains cream. Crystal Geyser Sparkling Lemon Water uh, had virtually the same taste and ingredients as the store's version. And the, uh, the test also found that popular cookies, Tate's Chocolate Chip, were the exact same product as the, t- the uh, taster uh, could not tell the difference. Well, but in the case of Carr's Table Water Crackers, for example, the investigation came to the conclusion that companies may not be working together because the two have different recipes. Other products that the investigation found to have uh, no discernible difference were Stonyfield's low-fat yogurt squeezers, whatever those are, Muir Glen canned tomatoes, Swallaby organic yogurt, and so on. Trader Joe's hasn't responded to questions about the products. Sources and brand name companies have declined to disclose any information. The investigation also compared the pricing of some of the brand name products and the TJ brand goods and compared those with Whole Food prices. Um, Interestingly, there were discrepancies between some prices of very similar and the same brand products. A six-pack of one uh, uh, product was $8.49 compared to $7.99 at Trader Joe's, so you don't always get the lower price. The Highbrow Organic Grocery Store also sells uh, olive oil for $3 more than Trader Joe's, same olive oil. And although the company will probably never disclose the information because of their business model, consumers often make their own conclusions about the store's sources. The store can afford to sell items at low prices since it doesn't spend huge bucks on advertising and marketing. But you do get that flyer 
uh, that comes once a month, once every few weeks, whatever. So Trader Joe's, the mystery continues, but with a little less mystery, perhaps. Do you shop at one of these uh, these hipster stores, James, or are you just a Safeway, Fred Meyer, Albertsons kind of guy? You know, um, I do I very, very occasionally when the uh, when I'm able to get approved for a loan to shop there. <laughs> um, the uh, the reason being, of course, that uh, I you know, I have my my gluten issues that I deal with, so sometimes I have things there that I can't get other places, but. Uh, Honestly, there, there's a little uh, a little website uh, that sells a lot of books and movies and pl- things that uh, sell a lot of what I'm looking for for cheaper. So I don't really go to those stores very often. I kind of go for as a field trip. I think Trader Joe's is really fun to go into, and there's I find interesting... myself going there. That's the one thing. You're right. It's too fun. Yeah, it's just more of a field trip it's... than where I actually go to. I find buy myself anything. spending it's like. Oh, I so really, really for the next month and a half want to eat crumpets for breakfast. I mean, you know, there are certain things that just you can't get anywhere else. And you're like, oh, I'm hungry for those, you know, you know, wasabi beans or whatever that you know, whatever you might see there. And so, I, it's definitely not a place to shop hungry. Yeah, because you will buy every snack, no demand, and then question yourself later when when you see uh, how much is left in your bank account. Yeah, I essentially buy novelty items. And um, I, I enjoy shopping there from time to time. But it's interesting that a lot of their products are similar or identical to other things and not necessarily the cheaper. Here's another consumer story. A pair of angry customers are taking a potato chip company to task for tantalizing uh, consumers with big bags that are more air than snack inside. And I notice the bags get bigger and they are filled with air. You can't really uh, compress them and determine how much is actually in it any longer. Uh, so there are actually plaintiffs who filed the class action suit against the Wise Foods in Manhattan federal court seeking unspecified damages in excess of $5 million. Wow. That's, uh, yeah, talk about having a chip on your shoulder. <laughs> or somewhere. The uh, miffed chip connoisseurs allege that Wise duped customers by filling its bags with as much as 67% air more than its competitors and more than it needed to protect the chips from getting crushed, the pair says. Effectively, they're getting tricked into paying for air, says the lawyers who live in the Bronx. Um, and uh, the, the filing, the court filing is in D.C. Well, in fact, the competitors use bags that are simultaneously smaller than Wise Products bags and contain more chips than them, according to the lawyers for the snackers. Uh, in federal court in their complaint against the Pennsylvania-based Wise Foods. Uh, The class action suit, which seeks damages in the millions to compensate unknown scores of consumers who've allegedly been wronged by Wise's packaging, all stemmed from uh, the purchase of one bag of $1.95 Wise Golden Official Potato Chips in the Queens grocery store last August. Well, the snacker was shocked to find that Wise underfilled her bag by more than half, according to her lawyer. The plaintiff uh, had a similar experience, plaintiff number two, with a $2 bag of Wise honey barbecue chips, according to the court's filings. And although federal consumer protection laws prohibit deceptive marketing, including food packaging that uses excess fill space, the air in bags of chips is generally recognized as necessary to protect the chips from being crushed. How much is appropriate? How much air should go in the bag? Well, they're going to figure that out in federal court. 
Uh, the suit claims that wise competitors don't use nearly as much air to achieve the protective cushion, pointing specifically to the Ruffles brand sold by Lay's. Ruffles bags are about 30% air compared to some wise bags that are as much as 67%, the suit claims. Well, even Wise's own original Dipsy Doodle bags are only 28% air, proving that the massive amount of space in the company's other bags isn't necessary, the suit claims. Well, the suit asks for the court to order Wise to pay out damages to the customers in New York and D.C. and to change its packaging labels. So there you have it. There's some guy sitting in a row behind a bench thinking to himself, I spent four years or is it three years in law school? I took the bar seven times. I practiced law in a dingy office for years to rise in the ranks of law, to sit behind this bench and try to determine how much air belongs in a bag of chips. You know, that air is valuable, too. Because without that air, you, you don't get that pervasive odor of potato and grease that <laughs> lingers for hours after you've eaten a bag of chips. But if the ratio of air to actual chips is too high, then it yeah. may uh, I dilute with that because the I'd be eating fragrance. the chips the whole time if I'm trying to count them. Yeah, well, you'd, you're one not... For me, one, for the, one for the case. One for me, one for the case. That's not good. Yeah, well, maybe not. Well, lawsuit uh, was had. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll be back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. James Blend is uh, engineering, napping, and producing today's program. Welcome back, James. By the way, Clark will be back on. <laughs> J- James? 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 Uh, just like old times. Ugh, really? Well, the rise of the hipster is continuing. Dictionary.com has added 300 new words, including um, man bun and superfood. Kind of makes you feel old. Well, at least me. Sounds like a Saturday morning cartoon, though, doesn't it really? Have you seen the latest episode of man bun and superfood? (laughs) Yeah, I, I can see that. Well, the new list includes popular trends such as cat cafe and the dance move dabbing. Alt-right was also added thanks to the rise of uh, Trump and populist movements, or at least the use of the phrase by his opponent. Uh, the word lightsaber has been uh, uh, has just been added. This is 40 years after Star Wars was released, but at least lightsaber is now there. Well, hipster trends, which already dominate shops, cafes, and fashion, are starting to infiltrate the dictionary. More than 300 words, including man bun, Dabbing have been added to the online database, dictionary.com. The man bun became popular in 2013 and has become a hipster style staple. Have you ever thought about uh, doing the man bun there, James? No, I'm fairly anti-man bun, to be honest. Really? You're not secure in your manhood? You couldn't pull off a man bun? Oh, if I had one, I would definitely pull it off. (laughs) There you go. Uh, Let's see, a cold brew, that's another uh, addition. It's a coffee which has been steeped in cold water for at least 12 hours. It's part of the growing trend of craft coffee. You just don't have a cup of coffee. You have a cup of craft coffee. So the night before, you put the coffee in the water and you let it sit around for 12 hours. And then that cold brewed coffee, which is now warmed, is uh, smoother than the, uh, the kind your grandparents used to drink. Remember in the old westerns where they'd throw a bunch of Dirt and maybe a little bit of coffee in a thing, and they put it over an open flame, and they just drink it straight up. Well, that's a thing of the past. 
Uh, The phrase cat cafe has also been included in the dictionary, referring to the trend of having a cup of coffee while petting a feline companion. You're probably a pet parent. I'm guessing if uh, cat cafe is uh, something that's important to you. Others like superfood and cheat day uh, show the popularity of the five um, two diet and clean eating. Some of us thought clean eating was just having the, you know, the linens or the paper napkins clean. The dishes had been washed, but that's a whole nother thing now. Cheat day superfood. Some of the words added to the list have been used uh, more because of the news that dominated 2016. Alt-right was one, became part of the online dictionary uh, because it was used by Donald Trump's opponent of his supporters. Um, the dictionary also added Black Lives Matter, the movement that spawned protests throughout 2016, and the Birkin which drew controversy last summer, or I'm sorry, Burkini, the Burkini. Um, Let's see, they also added, uh, well, some of the new words have been popular for decades. The word, as I mentioned, lightsaber, that's 40 years in the making. Since 2015, there have been two Star Wars films with episode uh, eight set to be released at the end of the year. Uh, Some of the other, um, now, cheat day, do you know what that means, James? No, I don't. When you're on a diet or you're trying to eat clean, you have a day in which you allow yourself to indulge in things that you wouldn't normally eat the other six days of the week. So you have a cheat day. Yeah, that's that's every day for me on, on my current diet. Yeah, I, I live the cheat day. It's like a groundhog day. It's just one cheat day after another. Yep. Um, Each one equally glorious, though. How about friendiversary? Are you familiar I, with friendiversary? I could probably put together what it is, but no, I'm not. I've never heard it before, but uh, you're right. It's pretty obvious. But friendiversary apparently is a – that's probably a Facebook thing because they force you to remember when you became Facebook friends and make a big deal yes, out of do. it. So your friendiversary is a new word. Um, I'm not going to mention those that I don't know what they mean because I could get myself into trouble. Um, that's never happened before. The mic drop. The mic drop. Of course, yeah. Yeah, everyone knows the mic drop. Uh, slay. That's you. You performed very well. I'm assuming that's how they're using it. Man, you really slayed that. Is there another meaning? I would no. I I would assume that to be the yeah. correct answer as well. There's the struggle bus. I have no idea what that means. Uh, Superfood. Again, we probably have a good idea. When you throw shade, you've sort of um. How, how's how do you describe that? Struggle bus is a difficult situation. Struggle bus, okay. Yep. When you throw shade, you're being less than genuine. You're, 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 you're basically dissing somebody. <laughs> that's the right word. You're dissing someone. Uh, the burkini, that's a very modest um, swimsuit that's influenced by Islam. Uh, are you a clicktivist? I, I'm guessing that has to Something do- to do with the remote. Well, or no, it could be clicks on a, you know, clicking through on the, the web. A clicktivist or, or someone who is very active on okay, online, here. but not necessarily see here. actually active in the real world. So you're an activist in the, it's the virtual use, world. It's the, it's someone, a clicktivist is obviously a practicer of clicktivism. Mm-hmm. And clicktivism is the use of digital media for facilitating social change and activism. Wow. Without even leaving your bedroom. We mentioned cat also cafe. Slacktivism. <laughs> slacktivism. I like that better. There is the dad bod. No explanation needed. Yep. Kudos to every dad bod who's hanging out with his family. There's hangry, 
when you just spend too long and you're you got an attitude, but you're hungry. Like those Snickers commercials you see. That's hangry. Yeah. Uh, Smackdown, no explanation needed. Let's see, stochastic terrorism, teachable moment. Yep. Uncanny Valley. I I don't know. Maybe we shouldn't even look that one up. I I have no idea. Uh, Anyway, they say at the uh, dictionary.com that we can see what words people have tried to look up on dictionary.com that haven't led to a uh, definition. And so they, uh, according to the lexographer. Uncanny um, Valley is not anything you would think it was. I don't know what it is, so I'm not thinking anything. It apparently is the hypothesis that human replicas, which appear almost but not exactly like real human beings, elicit feelings of eeriness and revulsion amongst some observers. That's exactly what I thought it meant. Yeah, that's... But could you explain <laughs> or reread I it? I have ba- no idea. Basically what it's saying is um, people who have uncanny valley prefer their androids, if you will, to look less human than they could possibly be because the more human, the more creeped out they are. So what does uncanny and valley have to do with I that have, lengthy explanation? I have no idea. Uh, well, it comes from, it, okay, it comes from a TV show in 1970 called The Uncanny Valley. Okay, well, I'm so glad that's to where, know that. So that's the origin. So these are some of the words that have been added in 2017 if you want to be considered a hipster to be... Um, you know, well-informed and current. Like, it feels like now these things are online. Anybody can get in there with any word. There's yeah. No, there's no, you know, there's well, no... essentially you can manipulate the whole thing by just going to dictionary.com and asking them to define something <laughs> that you may or may not uh, know is being used by others, I, but you're I, trying to create a popularity that doesn't exist. I think we should try and make up a word and see what happens. All right, you come up with a word and uh, get back to me on that. I will do that. Yeah. 32 minutes after 5 o'clock. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll be back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, we're back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. Now, I know this is a fun Friday, but I opened the show with this story, and I wanted to make sure our 5 o'clock listeners caught it as well. We talked earlier this week about the uh, uh, the 20-something-year-old uh, man who doused a... Um, a stranger with gasoline set him on fire at a Denny's earlier this week. Apparently that man suspected of setting uh, the fire at a Happy Valley Den- uh, Denny's restaurant was arrested today um, and has been charged with attempted murder. Uh, actually, it was probably Thursday night that he was arrested, but the Clackamas County Sheriff's Office has said they have him. Uh, the suspect was identified as a 24-year-old uh, Deshaun James Swanger. He was arrested at a transitional home that's located in southwest, or rather southeast Portland on 80th Avenue and Sunnyside Drive, just a few blocks away from the restaurant. A neighbor apparently called in a tip to the sheriff's office, told the deputies he believed the man there um, was uh, that they were looking for was this Swanger, and that he lived in the transitional home just about uh, with about 18 people. Well, the neighbor said he used to live in the home uh, with Swanger and was surprised by the allegations. He was very quiet. He stayed to himself, the neighbor said. Uh, and again, this neighbor apparently lived in that same group home at one time. Swanger has a criminal uh, history, including charges of robbery, burglary, uh, burglary and assault. Um, uh, deputies say that on Wednesday evening, he walked into the restaurant located at Southeast, uh, Southwest 82nd Avenue about 9 p.m. He sat down, he threw gasoline on the customer, then lit the customer with a, a book of matches. He has now been found, is, is in custody, and has been charged. The victim's family identified him as 69-year-old Scott 
uh, Randstrom. He's the crit- in critical condition at Legacy Emanuel Hospital. He, uh, his face was like this big, and he was a skinny guy gesturing one of the uh, family members. Uh, it was horrible looking, burnt to a crisp. He was um, seriously injured. They did that uh, to my big brother. I don't think I'll ever get over it. Uh, it's not fair. Well, certainly it is not. The family has set up a GoFundMe page to pay for the medical expenses that, of course, were uh, not expected. Deputies said the uh, perpetrator um, was a stranger to the, the victim. Uh, they are also looking into the possibility that this case is related to another incident that took place earlier this week in which a person threw gasoline on a stranger at the Clackamas Town Center movie theater. Uh, deputies say that they uh, didn't uh, make much of the incident and certainly didn't make it public based on the interview with the victim, who seemed to treat the incident as a joke. Of course, they had no idea at the time how serious it might have been. They're now going to interview that person, and my guess is have already attempted to do so. Uh, Denny's issued a statement um, saying that they're cooperating fully, and now that the perpetrator has been identified, I think we can all sigh a bit of a sigh of relief. But again, the 24-year-old that lived uh, very close to the restaurant where the event took place just wanted to mention that. For those of you who might be feeling a bit anxious about uh, this unsolved mystery. Well, also, you can expect some major delays if you're driving around Portland this weekend. The combination of interstate and bridge closures with three major events in Portland on Saturday could make for a pretty frustrating couple of days for drivers. Of course, we're pretty used to being frustrated as drivers in Portland these days. Southbound Interstate 5 is going to be closed from the Markham Bridge to North Broadway again this weekend. That was inconvenient for a lot of people. The closure starts tonight at midnight, is scheduled to end 4.30 a.m. on Monday. So don't try to go that way until uh, later Monday morning. Drivers are being diverted to southbound I-405 to reach I-5 South to downtown. A lane of I-5 South remains open for drivers to get to eastbound I-84 according to the Multnomah County spokesperson explaining all of this. Drivers who are headed south from Washington should consider using Interstate 205 instead of I-5. The closure is the second in four weekends or of four weekend shutdowns to allow construction crews to make concrete repairs under the Burnside Bridge, uh, which crosses over lanes of the freeway. At the same time, the Oregon Department of Transportation crews, they're going to work on the closed section of the freeway. So there's a lot of activity going on there or will be over the weekend. The remaining weekend I-5 closures will start at 10 p.m. on Friday night, end at 4.30 a.m. on Monday, and they include um, uh, the 5th of May through the 8th of May, and that's northbound, and then the 12th of May through the 15th, and again, that's northbound. So this weekend is the last of the southbound closures. Uh, The two weekends in May are for northbound I-5. The Morrison Bridge is also going to be closed this weekend. The bridge will be uh, closed at midnight tonight. Until as late as 4.30 a.m. on Monday, Uh, the bridge will reopen earlier if work is completed ahead of schedule, but at least uh, they have a minimum of 4.30 a.m. on Monday. Portland is among hundreds of cities that are going to hold a March for Science on Saturday. Uh, The march is scheduled to begin with a rally at 10 a.m. at the Waterfront Park. My guess is it's less of a march for science as it is a march against Donald Trump, but we'll see what actually happens. The Portland Timbers are also going to host Vancouver at... um, 1 p.m. at Providence Park, and Saturday night, uh, the Portland Trailblazers are going to host the Golden State Warriors in Game 3 of their playoff series, so it's going to be a very busy area. TriMet said extra buses and trains will be used as needed on Saturday, but travelers should be prepared for delays, and those delays could be somewhat significant, so be prepared for that.
And there's a meteor shower happening in the skies right now, and it's especially this weekend they suggest we take a look. The Lyrid Meteor Shower is an annual show producing around 20 meteors per hour. And while it's not as popular as the Persaids or the uh, uh, the Geminides, I think that's the pronunciation, they produce about 100 or more per hour, they are producing um, uh, the same phenomenon, only less so, a comet known as C. 1861G1 Thatcher. Wow, who named that? Discovered back in 1861, left behind dust particles that the Earth revolves into uh, right about this time of year. The annual show goes from April the 16th through the 25th, but will be peaking on, uh, well, tonight through Saturday morning. The sky should be mostly clear Friday night for viewing. Also, the moon's going to be in the uh, crescent shape. Uh, that will um, uh, limit light uh, pollution. So for your best chances to see some of these uh, meteors uh, go away from the city lights, the best viewing is typically between midnight and just before dawn. So if you have the stamina to either stay up or get up, you might want to enjoy that uh, show in the heavens. And, of course, Portland saw temperatures approaching 70 degrees. In fact, I never did quite get the high, but this afternoon, very warm temperatures. James and I were complaining earlier about the fact that we didn't really get to enjoy much of that sunshine, but we had a chilly morning. Um, about 30-something uh, this morning through much of the Willamette Valley, southwest Washington, but warming to around or near 70 degrees this afternoon. Sunny skies developing east winds are going to bring in the warmth that we've been enjoying. Uh, you can compare this to April of 2016. We've been forced to hold our patience this spring for the arrival of warm weather. Uh, one year ago, Portland started um, April with 76 degrees to start the month, saw temperatures rise to 89 degrees on the 19th. I don't think we're going to enjoy that this time around since it took us clear until, what is it, the 21st to see a 70-degree day. This year we've seen two 63-degree days, but nothing warmer as of uh, today. Friday's high will be the warmest of the year to date, possibly um, the warmest for some time. Uh, the last time Portland International Airport hit 70 was October the 8th. The record high for the day is 82 degrees, and the average is 62 uh, so enjoy today's sunshine. We don't have a whole lot of it left uh, because showers return tomorrow. And that's always a little disappointing when you've been in an office all week. All I don't week have long. the data yet from the National Weather Service yeah. which is, yeah, or, the, or the airport. But what I do have is here, here at the station. And we did top out right at 70. Right at 70. Right at 70. Wow. That so, must have been nice. You know, I... I will say we did take a little bit of advantage of it, so I'm, I'm okay with that. But it would you know, sure I like noticed you look just slightly tanner than you did yesterday. Well, we, it's just a smidge. A few of us may have had an outdoor lunch today. Wow, you even ate outdoors. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I I envy you that. As well, you should. Well, you're looking good. There's that uh, that 70 degree glow on your otherwise very fair skin. So congratulations, James. Got a little sunshine. <laughs> Very right. little. <laughs> We're going to take a quick break. Do we have any idea when the sun returns? I haven't really looked forward uh, too far, but I'm hoping that although the weekend is going to be a bit moist, that maybe next week we'll see a little sunshine. Yeah, I, last time I lo- I'm bringing up the forecast right now, but the last time I looked at it, it wasn't all that promising. I see partly cloudy next Saturday, the 29th. That is the next day. Saturday, rain. Sunday, rain. Monday, rain. Tuesday, rain. Wednesday, showers. Thursday, showers. Friday, showers. That's the next week. 
So partly cloudy, partly cloudy and uh, 61 next Saturday. The 29th is your next chance. Um, It looks like heading into May, we might have a partly cloudy day day there, too. But uh, yeah, mostly (laughs) mostly back to where we were. This was definitely I I think the word's fluke. I think that's a fair word, don't you? Yeah. Anomaly. Another one is another one. It just would have been nice for it to be Saturday. You just hold off one day. I know. I would really like to get out into the yard. And I'm guessing it'll be, it won't be really wet, but it'll be wet enough that I'll talk myself out of doing what needs to be done. Well, we'll see. (laughs) We'll see. All right. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, uh, we're going to wrap things up. And while we're doing that, we're going to let you know what's coming up next week right here on the program. So stick around. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back. You're listening to the final segment of the Friday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. It's been fun having you with us uh, today, James. We don't get to uh, have you engineer the show on a Friday, especially very often. I can safely say the pleasure is all yours. <laughs> That was such a kind remark. Thank you. You're, you're welcome. Taking a look at next week when uh, Clark Hilton will be back. He'll be a year older. Actually, he'll only be a couple of days older, but technically his birthday will make him a year older um, when he returns. And we'll do a little celebrating when he when he's back with us. Uh, anyway, on Monday, we're going to talk with John E. Johnson. Uh, the book is titled Under an Open Heaven, A New Way of Life Revealed in John's Gospel. I think I've mentioned that I have been in Bible Study Fellowship this year, and we've been studying the Gospel of John, and what a delight that has been. I mean, they're all good, let's be honest. They're all great books of the Bible. But I've especially enjoyed this year focusing on the book of John and uh, uh, the fact that we've been focusing on the events of Easter week right around uh, Easter time has made it especially uh, beautiful as well. But anyway, we're going to talk with John E. Johnson, author of Under an Open Heaven, A New Way of Life Revealed in John's Gospel. On Tuesday, uh, really looking forward to talking with David Limbaugh. And if the last name seems familiar, yes, he is the brother of the other Limbaugh. Uh, he is a devout follower of Christ, and his latest book is titled The True Jesus, Uncovering the Divinity of Christ in the Gospels. Now, I'm always a little bit put off by um, a title that suggests the true Jesus, that because you wonder, okay, what are they trying to debunk? Well, in this case, David Limbaugh, uh, it's a work of an uh, apologetics, if you will, uh, for those who are skeptical. And he does a great job of uh, precisely what the subtitle of the book suggests, uncovering the divinity of Christ in the Gospels. Uh, Regnery now has an imprint, Regnery Faith, and they're producing some really great work. And so I'm looking forward to talking with David Limbaugh on this particular book. And there'll be others in the days ahead that we'll have an opportunity to uh, discuss. On Wednesday, Than Newton will be my guest in search of the king, turning the pursuit of meaning into the discovery of God. One of the things that we uh, hear is common to us all is the desire to be loved, to be known, and to live a life of meaning. We're going to talk about that with Than Newton from his book, In Search of the King, uh, as we examine how pursuing uh, meaning can lead us to discover um, uh, God himself. And of course, he is the one who initiates and he's the one who pursued us. But we oftentimes feel like we're the ones who find him. Uh, once we understand the scriptures, we understand his heart. 
uh, then we better understand that he, in fact, is the one who was the initiator. But we're going to talk about that with uh, Than Newton on Wednesday. And then on Thursday, David Brog. I think we've rescheduled this interview a couple of times. Things keep coming up. So I'm hoping this Thursday we're actually going to talk with David Brog. His book is titled Reclaiming Israel's History, Roots, Rights, and the Struggle for Peace. And we're going to take a long view of the nation of Israel. Of course, we are familiar with Israel as it's um, written about in the scriptures, but the history beyond that will be the subject of our conversation. It certainly will include the the, the history in scripture that it, you know constitutes its roots, um, but also the present struggle and what the future of uh, Israel looks like. We can always look to scripture for some insight there as well. And I'm looking forward to talking with David Brog about his latest book, again titled "Reclaiming Israel's History: Roots, Rights, and the Struggle for Peace." And then on Friday, assuming there's sunshine and all things being equal, we'll lighten up and have a bit of uh, of fun. Well, I, I like every once in a while to bring something to you from that uh, that web page that's uh, tongue-in-cheek, in the Babylon Bee. And this one, the headline I wanted to share with you, longtime church member self-identifies as visitor to get good parking spot. <laughs> Ivory pulled his 77 Buick Park Avenue into the prime parking space, clearly marked visitor, waving and smiling at confused parking attendees, according to witnesses. I just let the parking lot ministry guy know that today my personal choice was to self-identify as a visitor of the church, Ivory said. I have to remain true to my feelings about who I am, and today I'm a 22-year-old female visiting the church for the first time. The 68-year-old also received a welcome kit, a free donut, a free coffee, and special attention from all members of the pastoral staff as part of his newly claimed identity as the first-time church visitor. At publishing time, Ivory had confirmed his plan to self-identify as a different first-time church visitor each Sunday for the foreseeable future. Sort of a funny way of looking at the whole enterprise. Uh, but a reminder that Sunday is a great opportunity. Saturday night, in some cases, depending on where you fellowship, to uh, come together and um, be together in fellowship in church. It's become something of a challenge for me and my household. Um, Dan and I do a lot of worship ministry in churches around the area. My mom, as many of you know, lives with uh, with he and I, and she is no longer comfortable being in crowds. And that... That goes for larger crowds and smaller crowds. She doesn't hear well, and her hearing aids don't differentiate uh, background sound from people who are speaking directly to her, and it's become something she just doesn't enjoy anymore. There's been some options presented. I appreciate a local pastor wrote me earlier today and suggested, you know, we, uh, well, it was Bethany Bible. It's a beautiful country church. It's that idyllic building in a beautiful setting. And he said, you know, we have all kinds of provisions. And I mention that because there may be others of you who struggle or know someone who does. They've made uh, 21st century provisions to help people with hearing challenges uh, to hear. It's a smaller congregation, very welcoming. Greg um, Allen is a great Bible teacher. So if you're looking for a church um, that is smallish and uh, can accommodate uh, older as well as younger people. But in particular, if you struggle in that area, you might want to consider that. But anyway, it's become something of a challenge for us. I'm going to try to talk my mom into visiting and seeing if uh, this is a setting she'll feel more comfortable in. But coming together as uh, the body of believers, uh, as a community of followers, is uh, something that Scripture says we really, really need to do. It's for our own good, as well as uh, it's part of God's plan for ministering to the world around us. So if you have the opportunity, you don't have to self-identify as a first-time visitor, but let me encourage you to spend some time in fellowship with other believers uh, over the weekend. 
Once again, on Monday, we're going to talk with John E. Johnson, Under an Open Heaven, a new way of life revealed in John's Gospel. Also, Clark Hilton will be back to engineer the program. Today, James Blend has both engineered and produced today's program. He is exhausted, but he has the weekend to recover and to, uh, you know, put something on that tan he's uh, now got. Thank you for making the Georgine Rice Show part of your day, and have a great weekend. Thanks for listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like to download a podcast of the show or would like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com or on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter at GRice Show and like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for critical times on 93.9 KPDQ. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.